standard issue for all women. Hello and welcome to, you guessed it, another Double Chop Sunday. Like Ski Sunday, but warmer. Actually, that's not strictly true. As over on the other chops, Jen is chatting to the charity Pregnant Then Screwed about women being left out in the cold when they get pregnant, go on maternity leave or return to work after having kids. I don't have kids. I'm never going to have kids. But I have found Jen's series on pregnancy absolutely fascinating, not least because it's provided some really useful information for me in how I can be more there for my pals who are having children. Anyway, things are a bit hotter over on this chops as we catch up with the bloody smashing Alison May, chair of the Romantic Novelists Association, which is celebrating its 60th anniversary. From Marion Keys to Jilly Cooper, Joanne Harris to Toni Morrison, Barbara Cartland to Gabrielle Garcia Marquez, romantic novels are a broad church, able to tackle a lot of big topics and hot potatoes. And yet a lot of people still get sniffy when it comes to romance. We chatted to Alison about, among many, many other things, changing hearts and minds, inclusivity, literary love stories, that time Cliff Richard played Heathcliff, why Sane Girl by Usher and R. Kelly would make a terrible romantic novel, and the intriguing-sounding banging line of Mills and Boone books called Dare. Sweet Christmas. Two notes, we talk about banging a lot, and Hannah seems, I don't know, fine with it. Also, please send your angry tweets about gun control elsewhere. Thanks. Hello, we are joined by Alison May, Chair of the Romantic Novelists Association, which this year celebrates its 60th anniversary. Alison, hello and happy diamond. Thank you very much. Tell us a little bit more about the RNA. How and why did you get involved? The RNA exists for two reasons. We are there to raise the prestige of romantic fiction, which sounds terribly highfalutin, (laughs) and also to support romantic authors. We've been going since 1960 and I joined as an unpublished author on what's called the New Writers Scheme, which is a scheme to support unpublished writers. You get a critique on a full-length manuscript from a published novelist working in your kind of subgenre. You get to remember the R&A, come to all our events. So that was why I joined, because I was a newbie budding author who knew nothing about publishing or story structure or, you know, details like that (laughs) kind of thought. I'll write a novel. It'll be great. Wrote a novel. It was terrible (laughs) and realised that I possibly needed some more help than that. So that was 2011. And, Um, And it's been a really nice community. It is, yeah. I remember the feeling of going to my first RNA conference, just 200, 250, predominantly women, but not exclusively, and just the most marvellous, magnificent, fantastic women where you walk into a room and know with absolute certainty that you are the most stupid person in that room by a really, really long way. And just having that kind of feeling of, ah, my people... I have found you. And I think, I hope, that's what we give to a lot of our members because writing is really solitary. Yeah. You sit at home on your own. How many novels have you written now? I have published, counting, five full-length novels, three novellas. Two of those full-lengths were co-written with another author. So I write as Alison May and as Juliet Bell with another author as well. Cool. The RNA's original mission back in 1960 was to demand respect for Absolutely. and celebrate romantic fiction. But to be fair, it still sort of gets a bit of a hard time when it comes to being taken seriously. Yeah, it does. And there are reasons for that. Most of them 
relate to the unsmashed nature of the patriarchy. Okay. Really? There is certainly something in how work that is predominantly produced by women and predominantly read by women, not exclusively but predominantly, is perceived. And then there is also an awful lot of just kind of learnt behaviour in the publishing industry, and that includes writers as well as publishers, Mm -hmm. about what sells romantic fiction which quite often is sort of pink and glittery. And there's nothing wrong with pink and glittery, but that feeds into a second level of stuff about how we as a society perceive pink and glittery. And we perceive it as not as important as dark and serious. Um, And I think escapism is really important. And I think that having a fictional space where anxieties about relationships our own understanding of what healthy relationship looks like and all of those things can be explored in a fictional space is actually really, really important. Joanna Harris this morning was talking about, on Twitter, mm. just this morning talking about book covers. Uh, she she was talking about Tony Morrison. Tony Morrison. She? Yeah. Tony Morrison, yeah, like, amazing. with just a picture of a flower on the front. Wow. Yes, there was a lot of pink. Mm. In that series, I saw that Twitter thread yeah. when I was on the train on the way here. She did one about, I think it was Jane Eyre the other day, just like the amount of bonnets or just Jane looking wistful and beautiful, which, you know, isn't isn't what's happening in Jane Eyre. No. Um, and I mean, and Jane looking wistful and beautiful, one of the very strong points that Bronte makes in that book is that she's not beautiful. Mm-hmm. She's a plain girl and we can unpick plain girl what that implies but yeah she is very often wistful and beautiful on covers and there's also gender mismatch so authors I love male authors I love David Nichols for example and it's nothing against him personally he's a fantastic writer but his relationship fiction isn't packaged in the same way that relationship fiction by female authors is packaged and what is one day if not a romantic absolutely absolutely well look at like um, Nick Hornby as well quite a lot of his stuff is Basically, yeah. yeah. And it his, absolutely his front is. covers look like... Lads! Um, no, they look like <laughs> birthday cards yeah, that you get the from 80s. your dad. Yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. It was either a cricket, a, a, a cricket bat yeah. or a football or a pint of yeah. lager or an album. And yeah. they smell yeah. of balls. Yeah. 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 So the things, the things we know about men are potentially equally limited. Yeah. Pints of lager, sporting equipment. Yeah. No, that's it, Alison. I don't it. see your point. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think that people misunderstand what novels fall into the romance section? Yeah, I think when I tell people I'm the chair of the Romantic Novelists Association... Do they do a head tilt? They, they do a head, head tilt, tilt, yeah. And I have had about my own career, I've had questions like, when are you going to write a proper book? And then apparently if you punch the person who asked that question, you're in the wrong. It's not very romantic. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I think when I say I'm the chair of the Romantic Novelists Association, the things that come into people's head are Barbara Cartland. Um, and Barbara Cartland was one of our founding members, and Barbara Cartland did Barbara... Wrote three books a day or something. Yeah, she was her. <laughs> she was she was her own little unique superstar. Those poor dogs. That's all I think about Barbara Cartland. I've got a Barbara Cartland story. It's not mine, but it's just a fun anecdote about Barbara Cartland. Apparently, a journalist once asked her whether she thought that the class structure either had or would ever break down in British society, and she said, "Of course it has. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking to you." <laughs> oh, yeah. Babs. Yeah, Aww, she was. Abs. She was. She was a unique little sunbeam, <laughs> um, and she was one of our founder members. And she did her, and that's all good. But that image that we are 
surrounded in pink. Mills and Booney. Yeah. yeah. And we represent huge numbers of Mills and Boone authors. And Mills and Boone does some really interesting stuff in terms of the history of Mills and Boone as a kind of history of what we perceive as attractive is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we perceive as heroic, probably more to the point, is really interesting. But it's much, much broader than that. So John Harris, for example, is absolutely a romantic novelist. Marion Keyes. Marion Keyes. I love Marion Keyes. I've only met her once and I fangirled ridiculously. Yeah, yeah. yeah. she's awesome. It's, it's the correct response to meeting Marion Keyes. Mm-hmm. And she's actually. just so lovely. Yes. Also, her Twitter feed is the best Twitter feed, I think, that I, exists. I, I just, as an aside, I struggle to actually type the words that I want to type battling with autocorrect on my phone. I don't know how long it's taken Marion to teach autocorrect, but that's how she actually spells those words. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's quite a whole language, impressive. Isn't yeah. It? Yeah. yeah. It's amazing. The old yeah. woman. Yeah. Woman. Old woman. Yeah. She's magnificent. But yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of, most of her books have a relationship thread. Um, yeah. at the centre of them. Thinking about books that we've given awards to, we gave an award a couple of years ago to a Julie Cohen book together, which I can't talk about in detail because it has a massive twist at the end. Okay. But it's not a conventional romantic story. It deals with some really big issues and challenges what you think about those. So we're an incredibly broad church from... Mills and Boone type fiction, which certainly in their contemporary stuff tends to be slightly shorter and is very much focused between a developing emotional relationship between a man and a woman, through to historical fantasy, YA, book club fiction, where attracting more and more LGBTQ romance authors at the moment, which is fantastic. We have a rainbow chapter, so we marched at Pride in London for the first time last year with a massive banner that said, Love Stories are for everyone, which was very cool. So, yeah, we're a really broad church. I think that we get the head tilt in maybe in a way that if I said, oh, I'm the chair of the Crime Writers Association, I might not get the same head tilt. Yeah. You'll have to interview her and ask her. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so you, you've just mentioned LGBTQ and it is LGBT History Month this month yep. as well as National Romance Reading Month. And so you're doing a nod to that. Could you tell us a little bit more about how you're getting involved with LGBT History Month? So, yeah, it coincides with our Romance Reading Month. Last week we were doing Love My Library Week and a couple of the libraries pulled together their kind of romance stuff and some of their LGBTQ history stuff to focus on LGBTQ romance, which was fantastic. That was really nice to see. We've had a specific spotlight just this weekend gone on our social media, asking our members to tweet things like their favourite LGBTQ romance um, and our Rainbow Chapter have been leading on that. It's our first romance reading month, so it's something that I really want to develop as well and build those links with LGBTQ stories and writers because historically we haven't had them. It's an area where we've been weak. Mm, I was going to ask really about honestly. the representation over yeah. the last 60 years. I mean, there's no, point, there's no point pretending that historically we haven't been quite white, quite straight, very middle class, and we're trying to change that at the moment. And we're still very white. And I think we're perceived as more middle class than we probably are. But publishing is a very white, very London-centric... Mm-hmm quite middle class industry and we're in a position at the moment where when I go and speak to publishers and meet with publishers representing the Romantic Novelist Association I always ask them about 
you know, are you looking for more LGBTQ stories? Are you actively looking for um, authors of colour? Are you actively looking for authors and also editors and staff from outside London? And we're in a position at the moment where the answers to those questions are all really positive, but we're on that kind of question mark point of intent tipping into reality. Yeah. Um, so I think we're in a position at the moment where lots of people have lots of really good intentions and the next couple of years are going to be really important for whether these issues continue to be something that we talk about yeah. and have good intentions around, but are still talking about and having good intentions. Mm, rather around. than actually doing. Yeah. I read something about romantic fiction over in America and a lot of underlying racism within yeah. that industry yeah. in the, the romance novels written by people of colour were put in different sections of bookshop. They were put in, like, yeah. black fiction yeah. as opposed to Absolutely. the romance section. And our... I, mean, I don't want to say equivalent organisation because there's been quite substantial differences, but the Romance Writers of America, which is a massive organisation representing writers, has had some really severe problems over the last few months, over the last few years, but specifically over the last few months, mm-hmm. about their representation or failure to represent authors of colour So that's a really, really live issue at the moment. And I think that it's really easy to look at that situation from the UK and feel quite complacent and quite like, well, we're not in that much of a mess. But complacency is not our friend in this situation at all. Are we doing better over here? I'm not convinced that we are. I think that as an industry, we are better at saying the right things. And knowing what we should be doing, Mm -hmm. how that filters down to the experience of authors of colour, I am less convinced that where the streets are head that perhaps people might be enjoying telling themselves they are at the moment because we haven't had an explosion. I feel it's a bit like that across the board here compared to America is that it's always a lot more insidious. Yeah. Like, you you can't necessarily see it, but that's almost part of the problem. So it sort of goes, like, yeah. unnoticed because it's not sort of out there in your face, yeah. obvious. Yeah, I mean, and in right through society, so if you're looking at America and you're looking at something like Charlottesville and a president saying, well, there's good people on both sides, <sighs> you can look at that and go, oh, there is very clearly a problem here. Yeah. And we can see it, and it's headline news. I think... One of the things we're struggling with in this country, um, generally but definitely in publishing, is that kind of unconscious bias, all those ideas about what a romantic heroine looks like. and what in, a woman looks like, to be Well, honest. yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think the RNA, simply because it was founded by women and is so female-dominated and has been about having a voice for women writers has been quite a feminist organisation, although it might not always have been perceived as as it. I think that it's been a certain type of feminism, though, which is very white. And I think that publishing generally is in that kind of position. So when we talk about romantic comedy, for example, the images we have in our mind are still kind of that Bridget Jones 1990s model of the good-hearted but slightly ditzy white 20 or 30-something. And there are obviously huge 
ranges of different characters that we could be telling stories about and different authors that could be telling those stories. As someone who doesn't really do romance in general, I have to say, not just in literature, just in general. In general, in life. It seems to me that the examples, the things that do best from any particular genre seem to be the most incongruous examples or like the worst possible example of that. So literally... Bridget Jones became like the benchmark. Everything became either compared to Bridget Jones or inspired by Bridget Jones. And suddenly that became the image of what a romantic heroine was. What a 30-year-old woman was. What a 30-year-old woman was. What a single woman was. What what we were all obsessed by. And yet I bet that's not at all representative of what most heroines are like in... Well... Is it? Uh, that's my question. Is that what, for a long period, did, did Bridget Jones there have its effect? Uh, books like that that are so stellar, um, Bridget Jones, Fifty Shades of Grey, mm. we, I probably can't get through a whole interview without mentioning, unfortunately. Um, yeah. I knew I shouldn't have left those manacles on the table. Drat. <laughs> um, those books do have an impact on the wider industry because there's sort of... I'm generalising now, there's two ways that publishers buy books. They buy books that are kind of, I've never seen this before, this is really exciting, it's a, it's a risk, but I'm sufficiently excited. And they buy books that I know this will sell, because we've sold stuff that's like it before. Mm-hmm. Oh, like suddenly everything was called The Girl something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and at the moment there's a lot of the insert occupation here of insert place here. Yeah. The Eye Doctor of Brazil. <laughs> just made that one up for now. example go home but, and write it but that Do is it. your literary crossover novel well done <laughs> <laughs> finally so, someone's put the money where the mouth is <laughs> so there are trends and that's true of marketing of any kind whether uh, it's books course. or anything whether it's anything and publishers need a certain number of those books that they know how to market and they know how to place and they know how to sell to be able to take a punt on the smaller number of books that are a risk so, yeah, when something hits big and hits really big, it shifts the market because publishers go, oh, we can sell something like that. And that's a business. It's a business. That's a commercial decision. But it does have kind of unintended knock-ons. So if what you're thinking is, oh, we can sell books about a 20-something or 30-something single women and that experience – that's kind of potentially okay because that's quite broad. If you're thinking we can sell books about women who look like Bridget Jones, that's much narrower. Yeah. Um, and I think that's where the kind of problems come in is how much like the thing that was big stuff has to be to kind of fit under that umbrella of, yeah, this doesn't feel like a horrible risk. We feel like we know where to place this and how to work with it. Going back to what I was touching on about the racism within the national... What, what did you call it? The, the, the RWA, the Romance Writers of America the Roman- and the Publishing Industry in America. Confusingly generally. sounds a bit like NRA. Yeah, and that's what I was about yeah. to say. We the do, as the RNA, we do very occasionally get angry tweets from people about gun control. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to reply to them going, no, we're very much more about love. I am not Charlton Heston. One of the things that was fascinating slash appalling that I read around that story was someone who was a big reader. The readers had started complaining that with their subscription they were getting sent black fiction and they hadn't signed up for that. But then 
Some of them were really surprised to find that they they thoroughly enjoyed, they enjoyed it. it. And Wowzers. one woman had gone to visit when they'd done like a sort of comic not as racist as I thought. Well, you say that. Wait till I finish the story, oh, okay. Jen. Okay. Uh, when she'd gone to a comic con, she'd met the the woman of color who'd written this book that she really liked. And her her thing was, and clearly trying to come from a good place, was I really enjoyed your book. It taught me that you people love the oh. same way that we do. And I always thought it was really different. So my point is actually going to be. A kind of positive one, not from that story. But despite some people being a bit sniffy about romance, it has a huge readership. Absolutely. So there is the power to change hearts and minds about subjects, there right? There absolutely is. One thing we did two years ago now was we launched a bursary scheme to try and encourage more diverse authors to join the RNA. And I gave a speech to launch that bursary scheme. And one of the things that I said there was that I think it's important for everyone to be able to pick up a romance novel and go, oh, people like me deserve a happy ending. Mm -hmm. I think it's even more important to be able to pick up a novel and go, oh, people who aren't like me deserve a happy ending. Yeah. And it's those two things. And if we're only telling one set of stories, we're not providing either of those. Can I ask then, is that is that compulsory in romantic fiction to have a happy ending? Oh, this is where, this is where... Because Hannah's mean, gather, down with that. I love a sad ending. <laughs> gather three or four together, romantic novelists together in one place and let them fight that one out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would say to be classed as a romance, yes. Right. To be classed as a romantic novel, not necessarily, no. Ah, um, so, if your story is about a developing relationship which may or may not work out, I would say that that would still potentially class as romantic. Um, and that's part of the reason that the RNA is the Romantic Novelists Association, not the romance writers of yeah. the UK, is because we are slightly broader in our outlook. So if you take a strict definition of romance and say it has to have a happy ending, Romeo and Juliet isn't a romance. Right. And that would probably be most people's kind of definitive love story if you ask them to pick it's one. It's a tragedy. It's terrible. It's, it's a tragedy. Well. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I mean, there are a number of errors of judgment made along the way of mm. that play. I can pick that relationship apart for you <laughs> in some detail. However, if you ask people, most people to kind of think of a literary love story or a literary romance, it's going to be up there and it doesn't have a happy ending. So I would say to be romantic, not necessarily, No. The traditional Mills and Boone definition of romance. Two characters get together, face a series of obstacles, overcome them, have a happy ending. It's a little bit narrower. Or do? It depends. Uh, with Mills and Boone, it depends on which line you're writing for. Right. Um, or oh, is there a banging line? They bang a lot. Right. Some of the lines, um, <laughs> Dare, for example, I mean, it's called Dare, they bang in a range of interesting ways. Okay. <laughs> well, I a, wish you could have seen Alison's face. She's delighted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's, there's a lot of heat level for everyone. Like Nando's. There's like, there's like an after dark. <laughs> in the US, we're less sort of prescriptive about it, I think, of here, but in the US, you will see reviews that do rate, kind of give chilly ratings and things like that on romance novels to give you a heads up for like Nando's. <laughs> how excited <laughs> you're expected to get. Well, the, now, if we could just briefly go back to what you were saying about Fifty Shades of Grey, which obviously became like just all encompassing. Yeah. It's a really interesting point or example in that E.R. James wrote that and it was really popular so immediately everyone wants to make a film of it because that's the way it goes but then they bring in Sam Taylor Wood and Sam Taylor Wood is like I think I can improve this because let's face it you I don't expect you to agree with me but I would say I don't think it's a good book so Sam Taylor Wood was trying hard to make it more filmic or whatever E.R. James didn't like it and then afterwards demanded script 
control over all the films that came, which is incredible for a woman writer to get that. As a move for Hollywood, it is amazing. However, I think possibly it was a mistake from the point of view as I don't think a writer is the best person, a novelist, the best person to direct a film. I'm enjoying that she made them sign a contract. (laughs) (laughs) I would agree with you. So she's she's made a huge leap yeah. forward, even if I don't agree with the what the end result yeah. was. And I would I would actually absolutely agree with you. For a woman to have that level of control is really unusual. Probably J.K. Rowling's the only other author who has anything like that sort of control over yeah. her material. She's sold a lot of books, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> and she has made herself and an awful lot of other people very wealthy mm. to get to that position of yeah. power. She's doing all right. Her own work. Yeah. yeah, I believe that's right. gone quite well. Yeah, she's doing yeah. all right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it is really, really unusual. My feeling is that if you sell a book to another format, to another form... Sort the of. healthiest thing for an author to do is take the cheque, buy a nice dress for the premiere... Think of it as your child going to university or something. You're letting it go. Come see us live in your faces. Yes, and please. Our next gig is in Birmingham on March the 29th, a Sunday, and it's at the very civilised hour of 5pm. We're joined by actor Helen Monks, who is currently being brilliant in the stage version of Upstart Crow, and also the boss herself, Sarah Millican. As if that wasn't enough, we've also got another guest, TBA. Check out standardissuepodcast.com for more details and tickets. What makes, what components make a cracking romantic novel? Two people who the reader desperately wants to find a way to be together and lots of really good, deep, emotionally rooted reasons that they can't be. So what's a bit flat to read is a situation where you have two characters where there's been some sort of misunderstanding and if they just sat down together for like two minutes, they could resolve this and he could go, no, that was my sister I was hugging and she would go, oh, sorry about that. Like same girl by Asha and R. Kelly. If they just said, is it this person? They could have gone, yeah, Yeah. whoops. (laughs) Three minute song versus book though. Exactly. (laughs) So what you want in a really satisfying romantic novel is for the barriers to the happy ever after to be really emotionally rooted in something. So, well, see, I, I, I was quite excited about this because it must be getting harder to come up with those things because in the old days you could say possibly it was religion or race or class or, you know... A lot of that, a lot of those barriers have been removed by society. We're less picky about who we can be with, so it has to be an emotional thing rather than yeah, a, emotional yeah. things are definitely. Wrong. But if you think about books that book that's done quite well, Pride and Prejudice again, I believe it's done quite well. Um, <laughs> she didn't see the benefit though. Uh, it's different. It's yeah. different. No, she didn't. Um, she has not had J.K. Rowling level of control over the no. film adaptations. No, that is a book in a lot of ways about class and about social mm. status. And that feeds into why Lizzie and Darcy don't get together straight away. But what feeds into that much more is their pride and their prejudices. They're both idiots. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So it's the barriers that they put in their own way that make all of that stuff about the kind of status and the societal stuff kind of laser-pointed. 
if they were different characters who were less hung up on their own position or more willing to admit when they'd been wrong about something or more willing to revise their first impression of someone. Less of a dick. Is another way of putting it. Yeah. But all of that societal status stuff wouldn't have mattered because they would have, he would have gone, well, you're probably poorer than my auntie's expecting me to marry, but that doesn't really bother me. Yeah. Yeah. It's his character yeah. that stops him doing that. Mm-hmm. Sort of a sort of a tough question, I guess, for for you as chair of the RNA. But do you think that romantic novels sell real life a lie? Because surely the healthiest relationships are the ones where you don't have to overcome a load of obstacles and there aren't all these yeah. confusions and misunderstandings and um, you just get straight to the banging. Yeah, but in the same way that fiction sells a lie. Yeah. So most murders are solved by really boring police work. And done by men. Mm, Exactly. Or not solved. Yeah. You don't read very many crime novels where they go, well, we've followed up every lead that was available until there's some new evidence. There's not a lot more we can do. Um, So fiction sells a lie straight away. I think that romantic fiction at its best gives you a space to work out what are obstacles that, you know, are worth overcoming? Yeah. What aren't the fact that this guy's a dick? They're actually just the fact that we need to kind of work through this properly. Rather than, oh yeah, no, actually this guy is just a dick. So one thing that I'm really keen on, one thing that's changed a lot in the last decade but probably earlier than that as well, is all of those questions, if you're looking at straight romance, of, like, what is heroic? Yeah. So, I mean, I've sat on panels with people where audience members have said, oh, Heathcliff's my ultimate romantic hero. <gasps> oh, he's awful. And that is the correct response yeah. to that statement. Yeah. We, went to, we went up to... Um, to how oh, to, uh, yeah. to, to interview uh, when it was 200 uh, It was of, 200 yeah. over the last couple of years, and, yeah. Um, and they said that happens all the time. Like, young girls come in and go, oh, God, it's so romantic and they're like what I mean he's a violent obsessive abusive thug but those eyes (laughs) so sexy though don't matter he's not even sexy I feel the need at this point just to remind everyone that Cliff Richard cast himself as Heathcliff once he's Cliff Richard that's amazing I um, I wrote my degree dissertation on adaptations of romantic fiction, oh, really? and so I watched the DVD oh, of really? Cliff Richard as Heathcliff. I've never seen that. Sorry, that actually happened. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, Fuck. he did a musical version of. It's yeah, called Heathcliff. He played Heathcliff. Yeah. Even for Hannah, it would be a weird thing to make up. <laughs> yeah. No, it exists. No, I like a the film DVD of it. it. It's a real thing. Yeah. Thank it's, you. It's it's an experience. Watching is, it. Is Heathcliff driving a bus around foreign countries yeah. having a lovely time? <laughs> no, Still no. In the BBC. Yeah. He's, um, emerging. He's, he's mainly just sort of, he sings a lot of ballads and looks quite anguished. <laughs> You've forgotten he did have a sexy phase, allegedly. It was after the sexy phase. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm afraid. <laughs> I stand by Wired for Sound being one of the best music videos ever. Films in Milton Keynes. Really? Why yeah. the sound? Milk Keynes Shopping Centre, that amazing, is. Amazing, yeah. amazing. It made me want a rollerblade. On, anyway. on Wuthering Heights, as a digression, the best version of Wuthering Heights is the MTV movie, 
which I'm assuming you've all seen because it's no. a classic. Oh, search that out on somewhere. It'll be on the internet somewhere. There's an MTV movie version of Wuthering Heights that's set in, I can't remember if it's Florida or California. I think it's California. Everything is sunlit. Everyone is blonde <laughs> and tanned. Um, Heathcliff <laughs> plays a guitar and occasionally strums his guitar in like a moody fashion. And that's about as dark as it gets. <sighs> Seriously, it's, I'm sorry, it's two I'll hours see you later. I'm going to go and get back there. It's worth it. <laughs> Heathcliff, it's me, Cathy. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go to the beach? Do you want a latte? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah it, seriously, search that out. It will enhance your life in a very specific way. It's already enhanced my life. <laughs> I feel like Monday, I have so to fun. tell you, although it's not really that related to romance novels, that there is a version of West Side Story in which Cher plays every part. <laughs> and you should it's also oh, that's definitely now on my seek that out as well. It's also great knowledge. So, Alison, again, this is a really tough question. What is your favourite romantic novel of all time? Oh, that's just really... It's Twilight, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I've... Fifty Shades of Twilight? I've read all of the Twilight books. It's fine. I've only read the first Twilight book. Shit. I will admit. (laughs) I take Um, it back. I shouldn't shouldn't say that. I should should maintain the image that I've read all the romantic novels. Don't bother, nothing happens. (laughs) Okay. Oh, that's a really mean question because um, I need to I need to pick an author who's dead so that I don't offend anyone I know. Mm-hmm. It's my now essential quandary. Okay. I like the English Patient because it's got a sad end. I don't know if it counts as a romance. I think though. it's a romance. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's, it's definitely novel. romantic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, this is this is an impossible question. Probably um, my fave. Yeah, no, I'm gonna I'm just gonna pick someone who's still alive. Damn them. Um, Rachel's Holiday, Marion Keys. Oh, it's a great book. Yeah, and it's not, um, I would say it was a romantic novel, even though the romance isn't the main story thread in it. It is an, mm. still an important she story thread in it. She thinks it's the main story for it, though. Does she? Rachel, no, Rachel does. Oh, right, yeah, Rachel does. Yes, Rachel does. does. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I love that book. I It's probably the book I recommend most often to writing students as well. I have a question. <laughs> I noticed uh, the other day that uh, Sally Wainwright's last tango in Halifax yes. is coming back. Yes. Um, which is... Her romance novel, yep, essentially. Absolutely. And what's interesting about it is what makes it like an unusual romance is it's a romance between two people in their 70s. Yes. Given how like, excited everyone got about Last Tango in Paris, because it was really... No, Last Tango in Halifax. Yeah, well, no, yeah, there's no I'm butter. Also excited about Last Tango in Paris, but it's quite different. <laughs> Given Yorkshire how, folk won't do that. <laughs> Given how excited everyone got about Last uh, Tango in Halifax. Do you think there is a um, a market for yeah. that now? I absolutely do, um, and that would be my best guess for what the next kind of big trend oh, really? in romantic fiction is going to be. Elderly source, yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, just demographically, that, um, if you look at who's reading, yeah, that makes sense. That there should be a kind of spike in books featuring slightly older heroes yeah, and heroines. Yeah, because you, you want to see yourself represented. Absolutely. So if they have been yeah. the consumers of yeah. romantic fiction, they're going to want to keep and seeing it is, themselves. It is literally true, as in it is based on what happened to Sally Waymite's mum. She yeah. she met her first boyfriend and they got married within about a month. Aww. As in she met up with him again, yeah. like when she was in her 70s and they got married. I think I think it's, it's a really good point, actually, because I first read Jilly Cooper's books when I was a teenager because my mum had them and I just raided them and obviously there was lots of stuff I shouldn't have read at like 13 but still have a real soft spot for them despite them being quite problematic in lots of ways and I've reread and reread and reread them I go to sort of safe place if I'm sad because I know what happens I kind of know the characters 
But all of them fall in love as teenagers. So many of her romances are, are, are teenagers and then they stay hitched for life throughout the mm. books. And actually, she wasn't writing for teenagers. She was writing for women in their, well, yeah, I think women in their late 20s, early 30s when she first started out. And it's only in her most recent books that she's covered, like, she did one where it was about a couple of uh, pensioners getting it on. Yeah, I think, I do think that's, I mean, there are already a few books that I know of that are kind of in production or that people are writing or that have already come out. But that just seems like a sort of obvious marketing opportunity from a very hard-nosed business perspective to be writing books about people, you know, after divorce, after being widowed, people who've been single for a long time, all of those different things. Because, yeah, there's a readership there. If you just look at the demographics, there's that baby boomer bulge in the population. Mm -hmm. um, And, yeah. And actually, age comes with its own built-in peril, doesn't it? Mm. As the goes. <laughs> Fucking hell, there's Hannah's Tinder profile. <laughs> Comes with my own inbuilt peril. No, I think that's 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 kind of what you, you were saying. You need barriers to get into people's place, get in the way. I mean, God, age yeah. gives you about 40,000 barriers. That hip yeah. operation yeah. really ruined exactly. the date. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I would come, but I can't get out of the bar. <laughs> Where can people find out more about the RNA? Not the NRA people, the Not RNA. the NRA, the nice, lovely, non-gun people. Yeah, the non-gun yeah. people. So the easiest place is on our website, which is romanticnovelistassociation.org. Follow us on Twitter, at RNA Tweets. All our events are up on our website, and the majority of our events are open to non-members as well. We've got events coming up right through this year because it's our 60th anniversary year. We've got events with Manchester University. We've got some events coming up with Birmingham University, York Literature Festival, Stratford Literature Festival... Um, we have a big party in June and another big party in November because I like big parties. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah. Um, oh, have two people ever got together at a party, two romantic novelists, and then got married? I bet they've banged. Not so far as I know, but I'm now totally going to find out. I'm totally going to write a book about that. <laughs> yeah, Hannah, I Hannah's know. now invested. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm now fully going to give a prize to the first people to come and fess up to having banged after meeting at an hour What's the prize? No, don't tell us, don't tell us. The peril's going to be they both wanted the same sausage roll. <laughs> I think they might be slightly classier parties than we're used to, Hannah. And Alison, where can people find out more about you and your writing? Uh, they can find out more about me on my website, which is alison-may.co.uk. Follow me on Twitter as at Ms. Alison May. Same on Instagram and on Facebook. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming and chatting to us. It's been fascinating. Thank you for having me. Standard Issue for All Women.